ago, I heard Pastor Arm Brewster, and he said to us as a congregation, good morning, beloved. And it stuck out to me that he would call us beloved. I don't remember anything about his message. But I remember that moment of him calling us beloved. And he's long since retired now. His wife, Betty, she told me once when I asked her what the secret of staying in ministry for so many years was. And she said, Leah, just love the people. They are your people. And you need to love them. And so today, I look at you in the room here and you who are at home through the camera, and I look at you as beloved. You are beloved, not only by us, but by God. So um, at the beginning of 2020, I had a word that kept coming into my mind, and that word was mature. And to be honest, I don't really love that word, um, especially in regards to myself. I prefer things like childlike or fun or carefree. And I kind of pushed back, wasn't receiving that mature word. I was reminded in that of all the times that people persevere and all the people that I know in my life that have been, that have done the work of maturing and are mature. They love well. They, they're just mature individuals. They can handle and carry much. And I thought of even the times where I had to step up into those roles and do it even if I didn't feel like it. And so finally, I surrendered to the thought that, yeah, like whether I like the word or not, this was an invitation from God. And so then, 2020. And I had to start with a lot of repentance because it started to come really clear how immature I was and how immature, how I loved immaturity. So... Emotional maturity calls me to a higher love. And I just want to plant that in your brain. Emotional maturity calls me to a higher love. I just want to pray and ask God that he will help me be mature. So God, we are in this place because we want to know you. We want to experience the growth that you're calling us to. We want to choose maturity, and at the same time, we want to be immature. So we present that to you and know that you see us just as we are, whatever place or state that we're in. And we say, have your way. Help us to grow. We receive your gentleness and your patience as we do that at whatever stage we're at. We say yes to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at Luke 10, 25 to 37. 
And that is a very popular passage that many of you will be familiar with. It's the parable of the hurt man and the good Samaritan. Um, but what I'd like to do as we read it, and it, it is coming up on the screen, as we read it together, there's context that I have really been thinking a lot about. And I think it changes the way that I've seen the passage. And I think that it's important because it calls us to a higher love and it teaches us what it really looks like on the ground level to love. So let's begin. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you need to Picture this in your mind. I wish that I had the skit guys doing their whole thing that they do so well and demonstrating what this looked like. But we need to see that the expert in the law was coming into this conversation with Jesus with quite a lot of arrogance. And he was pretentious in this question because he was used to everyone else asking him the question. So he was like, okay, Jesus, let's see what you've got. Here's the question that I'm going to see if you can answer, and we'll see what the people think of you now. So it's a setup. What is written in the law, he replied. Jesus sends the question back. I love it. As Brooklyn said the other day, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he always knows when he's being tricked. She didn't use that word. And, she, and he just has a way of totally answering the right way without even making a big deal of it and showing the heart and not being fooled. He, Jesus is never fooled. So... He asks the expert in the law, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, this is our theme verse for the entire year that we've had our Loving Well series going on. So this is a pretty important way that Jesus brings this in. He answered, so this is the expert in the law talking, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he would have said that like thousands of times because that was the most important commandment. And they had stuff, they had like books and books of the Pentateuch memorized. So he just rattles it off. Of course, this is what it is. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And I hear that like, okay, now... Go and act like an adult then. Mature in your love. Love God, others, and yourself all the time with everything you have. No biggie. Just go do it. You think you're going to trick me? You are preaching to yourself, buddy. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now this is very critical. 
This was the test because the expert in the law knew that Jewish law referred to a neighbor, that way, a neighbor, as their fellow Israelites. And that's found in Leviticus 19.18. So it's written that way. Your neighbor is your fellow Israelite. The parable to teach a new concept of who a neighbor should be to fulfill the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law only. That's part of this whole story that Jesus is going into. So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down. Now, this part was really interesting to me too. The context of this, a man was going down. That's important. It was 18 miles for this road. 18 miles desert and rocky country, and it was like a wadi or a canyon that went through very high walls at a lot of parts. It was actually a 3,300-foot descent, so he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. So this is a path, Jerusalem to Jericho, that is a well-worn path, and this man was going down that way, and he was completely innocent. You can see that he's done nothing wrong. The robbers came after him. So uh, this, this road was very suitable for robbers. Lots of rock to hide in. Lots of places to come out and jump at people, and it was known for that. The interesting part is that the Levites and the priests were always traveling. Often, they didn't live in Jerusalem, so they would be in Jericho or in those areas, and they would have to travel back to Jerusalem to perform their duties in the temple. So they would, this, this was just a well-worn path and normal, normal for priests and Levites to be traveling this road because they would go, they'd be scheduled for their duties for, um, in the temple, and then they would go back home. So this was already happening all the time. It was known to people that this was normal. So, next. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So priests, if they touched a dead body would become ritually unclean. Even if their shadows touched a dead body, they would be ritually unclean. What happens if you're ritually unclean? You cannot work in the temple for seven days. So the priest for sure would be taken out. He wouldn't be able to do what he was going to do in the first place. The Levite, he was like, the priest was the pastor, the Levite was like the worship leader, the sound person, all the people in the upper room, all the people at the door, the greeters, the people that made things happen. So that was the difference. The Levite would not be taken out fully, but the priest would if he was ritually unclean. There is a caveat here. In Levitical law, it says that the rule of mercy would always take preference if the man were clearly alive. But they didn't know if he was alive. 
So he was looking pretty dead. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So as I said, Levites, it wasn't quite as strict. But there was a massive issue with if you got too close, it was known that robbers could jump you. So they would just often, it was the bystander effect. They would just stand by, what if I get too close, then I'll be, I'll be hurt too. And I'll be the one laying on the side of the road. And again, I won't be able to get to the temple to do all my duties. But a Samaritan. So what is a Samaritan? Difference between Jew and Samaritan, this is important too. There is quite a difference. Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim rather than Jerusalem. So Jews and Samaritans were clashing all the time because Mount Gerizim is the place that the Samaritans believe Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac and, which is important, it was the place that Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac and it was the place that Moses decreed a sacred mountain in the 10th commandment. So they took those things and they made Mount Gerizim their place to worship, the only place to worship. The Jews have always considered Jerusalem to be the holy city as David put Jerusalem as the holy city where all sacrifices should be made and all worship was to be done. So Samaritans don't like Jews. Jews don't like Samaritans. And they both think they're totally wrong. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Wine we know is to cleanse, and oil is to heal the wound. And he had to get his hands dirty if he was dealing with oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. His own donkey. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is a full day's wage, so it was a significant cost to him, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This was not a quick process. The Samaritan didn't even stipulate like a, a cap, like this is as much as I'm willing to pay. Or this is as long as I'm willing to make sure that he's in your care. Then he's on his own. He just left it open. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Dead quiet. The expert in the law has to make the right call on this. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Definitely a mic drop moment. In that time, it would have been a mic drop moment. So I want to tell you an experience I had. It reminds me of this parable. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I was 16 years old, and my 14-year-old sister, Regan, and I were on our way to camp 
um, Living Waters Camp on a summer Sunday morning, and we were driving our Chrysler E-Class. It was a talking car. It was the coolest car around. It said, it actually said to you, your door is ajar. And all my friends would say, no, your door isn't ajar, it's a door. Then, please fasten your seatbelt. It actually talked to you. It was the coolest car. My friends were super impressed. Everybody loved driving around in it. And as a 16-year-old, it's pretty awesome. So as we drove the back roads from our cabin at Moose Lake in Alberta to this camp, Living Waters, outside of Prince Albert, we were making a journey that went through back roads. And I was 16, like I said, so I really didn't have a whole lot of experience in this area. Um, We were going down this hill, and all of a sudden, the car shut off. And I was like, okay, we'll just roll into the valley. So we did. And the car just rolled to a stop, and Regan and I looked at each other, and we're like, I guess start it again? So we start, we try all these things. I put my hand on the dash. I say, God, help this car to work. We're in the middle of nowhere in Alberta. I have no idea what we're going to do. And for all of those in the room or online that don't remember a time where there was no cell phones, we were trapped in the middle of Alberta country. So we're, we get out of the car and... We're looking at the car. We're literally looking at the car like, like I don't know. So I, th- I say, let's open the hood. <laughs> like, I know nothing. And so we're both standing there like, I don't know. So we just, we just stand there. And again, we, we look at each other and say, okay, uh, we need God to, to do something here because we got nothing. And... We're standing there, and like a couple minutes later, this car comes, like there was nobody on the road. No, nobody on the road. A car comes into the valley. It's this fancy car that is like a town car. It's got this, you know, I was 16, so everybody was old then, but they looked like an older couple in the front seats, and then there was a lady in the back seat. And they pull up beside us, they roll down their window, and they say, Hi, are you having car trouble? And we said, Yeah, uh, we don't know what's wrong with the car. It just stopped running, and we're on our way to camp, Bible camp, but we don't know what to do. Can you help us? And they just looked at us and studied the car and us, me and my jean shorts standing there, 16 years old. And she says, looks at her husband, looks back at us, sorry, we're on our way to church. Rolls up the window, drives away. And we're standing there with our mouths open. And we look at each other again and say, did that just happen? And so I say, okay, we're going to have to walk somewhere. So we start walking and we walk down the road and we see this, this farmyard 
way down there, so we walk to it, we walk into it, and I'm thinking, I have no idea, like, who's in this yard, but we're going to have to ask for help. So we walk into the yard, and there's a guy out there, and he's just standing there, he's all tatted up, he's like got, he's just a farmer dude, kind of middle-aged guy, and I, I said, told him the story with a car, and told him where we were headed, and he just said, oh, okay, well, where do you need to go? Where are your parents? I said, well, they're about like an hour, just over an hour back at Moose Lake Camp at our cabin. And I could try calling the camp, but they're like, they're phones. No, no phones. So he says, no, 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 just jump in my truck. I'll drive you back. So we did. And me being the older 16-year-old sister who's like, Got it. Got to protect the younger fourteen-year-old. Is like I have to get between this guy and my fourteen-year-old sister. So I sit in the middle, and I'm like, you know, with all my, <laughs> all my strength, and just trying to protect whatever's going to go on. Saying, God, I have no idea who this is. I don't know if he's going to like take us to who knows where. We could go anywhere in this truck. And then he just starts asking us questions, drives us back to camp, pulls into Moose Lake Bible Camp. Uh, the whole way he's got language, colorful language, which was awesome. And I thought this is the most unexpected thing that I have ever seen. And he, he drove in. My dad offered him money. He said, no. He said, no problem. I'll just drive back. It's all good. Glad they're okay and drove away. So, which of these do you think was our neighbor? Spiritual maturity does not equal emotional maturity. Spiritual maturity does not equal love. That's a mic drop. The more I read my Bible and pray, shouldn't I get more loving? When Jesus was talking with that expert in the law, he used the law to teach the expert. I love it. This was the most important commandment, and yet it didn't even seem to translate into love. Because he wasn't loving Jesus in the, that moment to even talk about it. He was trying to trap him. Emotional maturity calls us to a higher love. Now, all week long, the wonderful 80s song... Bring Me a Higher Love by Steve Winwood has been going through my mind. Yeah, it's a hymn. We've listened to it over and over and over again. It's like theologically sound on so many levels. It says, think about it. There must be higher love. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart. I'll look inside mine. Let me feel how strong it can be. It's actually amazingly accurate. Are we committed to looking inside of our hearts to find out why we miss the mark of loving well? The time we spend making sure we are doing all the right things, for instance, getting up, getting to church on time, like the people my sister and I met on the side of the road, it trumped doing anything 
but it's easy for me to be critical because I was the one in need in that moment. If the roles were reversed, and that happened today on my way to church, what would I have done? I don't know what I would have done. I hope I would have loved. But I'd probably be thinking about all the things that I had to do here. Don't want to let anybody down. That guy can take care of themselves. Somebody else will come along. And if I got all dirty, I'd be concerned about my clothes. Just like the priests, they couldn't work in the temple for seven days. Now, that sounds to me a lot like quarantine. So, you may not be aware of this, but <clears throat> today is Freedom Day. Dallas and I have been in, for in quarantine for 14 days. And don't worry, we've had two negative tests. We're all good. Um... But this is the day of freedom. Emotional maturity has called me to a higher love for the past 14 days. This was a setup. <laughs> you <clears throat> will hear some things today that you will not, that will not make you think better of me. So, by nature, I am not a strict rule follower. Often my motto is, rules are guidelines. Dallas says, rules are rules. So this journey over the past year has been seriously a challenge for a rules are guidelines kind of girl. And yeah, I heard the amen. And so when we're quarantined together, let's... I'm thinking of all the options that we can do and like we don't have any responsibilities and so like things are coming together in my mind, seriously. Plus we have a motor home. We could just drive that thing somewhere and be somewhere and walk and do whatever we want and be outside and all. Like I had it all worked out in my head and I would have still worn my mask so... Rules are guidelines, right? So that was a fun day with Dallas. <laughs> For those online, he said fireworks aren't always pretty. Um, so 25 years we've been married as a rules are rules and rules are guidelines kind of personalities. <clears throat> Personality, so fun. All personalities are special, but mine is right. <laughs> and I want my way. So I am just like a toddler, sometimes an infant, and I will be kicking and screaming about it until I... Well, actually, this is my kicking and screaming. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Then the Saskatoon Health Region calls, and they confirm that we are not allowed to leave our house for any reason whatsoever except for an emergency. 
And I'm like, well, what considers an emergency? I'm just like a toddler, right? This is my mature call. So the issue is never the issue. We say that a lot around here. We say that to each other. Dallas and I often say that. And so I was trying to look under the surface in my moment of journaling. And there was some things under there. You'll be surprised to know. And... uh, What it really came down to is I just didn't want to stop. And I struggled to slow myself down. Now, I'm all about the rest and slowing down. I just preached this message. And yet, I could not lay myself down like the good shepherd wanted me to do in the green pasture. And so not only was I not loving my husband well, I was not loving God well because I wasn't answering his call to just chill out, Leah, and rest. And it only took me to day 12 (laughs) to slow down for loving union. That is so ridiculous. So, like I literally preached that message a month ago. Setup. It's a setup. Okay, let's move on. Enough about me. This uh, is Emotionally Healthy Relationships, the daily office. And I want to tell you some of the best theology on this that I have learned and that I'm still trying to step into. Um, I'm going to read to you from pages 138, 139. Jesus' presence had a healing and transformative impact on people, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. As we become more like him, more rooted and established in his love, our presence can impact people as well. So this is what got me between the eyes on day 12. Martin Buber, 1878 to 1965. He was a German Jewish philosopher and an author, and he developed this principle. It's called I and Thou. And he wrote a book called I and Thou in 1923, just five years after the end of World War I. Before the war began, Buber considered the religious to be mystical experiences. He was a mystic that lifted him out of the earthly, ordinary experiences of everyday life. He was more concerned with the eternal than with the temporal super spiritual guy more focused on ecstasy than daily existence, more interested in what lies beyond the world than in the world itself. That all changed one day in 1914, the year that World War I broke out in Europe, when a young man came to visit Buber, Martin Buber. What happened was no more than, this is his words, what happened was no more than that one forenoon After a morning of religious enthusiasm, I had a visit from an unknown young man without being there in spirit. He was not there in spirit. Martin Buber. I certainly did not fail to let the meeting be friendly. I conversed attentively and openly with him. Only I omitted to guess the questions which he did not put. 
Later, not long after, I learned from one of his friends, he himself was no longer alive. So this boy had died. The essential content of these questions, I learned that he had come to me, not casually, but born by destiny. Not for a chat, but for a decision. He had come to me. He had come in this hour. That young man had committed suicide. The guilt Booper felt was not that he had somehow failed to remove the young man's despair, but that he was not fully present to him. He was so preoccupied by his religious experience earlier that morning that he failed to bring the full resources of his attention to their conversation. He did not turn to the young man with his whole being to actually feel with him. Instead of genuinely listening, he brought leftovers, a courteous but partial engagement. For Buber, the experience felt like a judgment on his whole way of life. He realized that it is possible to have profound spiritual experiences and a faith that can move mountains, but that such a faith is worth nothing without a deeply present love for people. It's like a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Just like the Good Samaritan, he saw that man as a thou and not an it. In my life, can I hear people and listen for their hearts and celebrate the rich, God-given deposits that are in them? As evangelicals, we often miss this. We miss that there's God planted in each of us. There's characteristics that are there for a reason that are supposed to be planted into us. And we receive those seeds that are rich as God-given seeds of love to us. But in my maturity, I'm still back at the rules are guidelines. Seriously, that is such a stumbling block for me, especially at this time of COVID. I like to think about and mull over what I believe is right, and sometimes I even like to um, adjust other people's opinions. So, when I forget that people are unrepeatable, precious gifts to me, I lose the ability to see them as thou's. They become its. I lose the ability to bring a higher love. And that is so pronounced for me today. Like I said, it was a God set up. Our unrepeatable, gentle-hearted friend, Mark Gripetsky, passed away after fighting through COVID on Friday night, as Dallas said and was talking about at the beginning of the service. And two weeks ago, we hosted a wedding here at the church, and then the three of us went for supper. 
And by the next day, Mark was having symptoms. And then we were all in quarantine, including his son, Ben. And I would never have dreamed that I'd be talking about this today when I'm supposed to be learning about thou's. So we lost a friend to enjoy life with here on earth. And I'm certain that he will have a much better time in heaven. And I'm certain that when I get there, I'm going to have a much better time and he'll have just had a head start on that. So God breathed life through Mark to me many times. One day for a funeral, we were singing a song that we should never have tried to sing. And we still, he would bring up that song all the time because we slaughtered it. And we, like we slaughtered it. And it was called Supper Time. And I was thinking on the way to church this morning just how appropriate that is. That it was about Jesus calling his friends home for supper. And Mark's getting a real feast. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us not take each other for granted. You are beloved. And when you look around this room, you should see beloved. And when you look at the people in your home, at home, you should see beloved. So now in the words of Jesus, now go and do likewise. Likewise.